Um, after last month's talk on holiness, Amanda Fowler and I were chatting afterwards, and I was telling her that I wanted to try to tackle an attribute of God that was easier. Um, and is there such a thing? Um, I actually don't think so, because every attribute of God is enormous, which makes perfect sense because God is infinite. Therefore, his qualities are infinite. But not only that, each attribute seems to bring questions to our minds. We struggle to see how each attribute plays out across the board when our eyes judge what we see in the world through our human lenses. As we talked, I told Amanda that I was considering God's goodness, but also his sovereignty. You know, easy things. And... Um, Later that day, she sent me a text and reminded me of a well-known conversation in the book The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe between Susan and Mr. Beaver. If you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, you will know that Aslan is, a allegor is an allegorical figure that represents God. The conversation goes like this. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Now, hopefully, when I spoke about God's holiness last month, you got the idea that holiness, the holiness of God is overwhelming. And for lack of a better word, terrifying. I spent quite a bit of time talking about just how unapproachable God is without, to us without Jesus, but that it was his heart, it is his heart to bring people near. When we encounter attributes of God that are massive, hard to understand, and almost frightening realities, it's important for us to continue to see his other characteristics. He is holy, not safe at all, but good. You may remember that the definition of holiness is unique, set apart, and perfectly pure. That means that every one of his attributes are also unique, set apart, and perfectly pure. His goodness is different than our goodness. It's set apart in a class all its own, and it's perfectly pure, and that's good news for us. I don't think it's anything new that people look at things through their own experience and can label things good or bad depending on how they see them. It's more complicated than it is simple for us, yet there has to be an objective truth about what is good for it to actually truly be good. God is our objective truth. He is good, therefore everything about him is good and everything he does is good. Right from the outset, I want to talk about a difficulty that presents itself whenever we consider an attribute of God that is communicable. You might remember when we talked about God's immutability that it was an incommunicable truth, an incommunicable attribute, meaning an attribute that we do not share in. We are always changing, but God is not. But there are quite a few of God's attributes that we do share in. Um, holiness was one. 
He desires his people to live in holiness, and goodness is also one. He desires his people to um, be good and to do good. Here's where I think we struggle. Because there are reflections of God's communicable attributes in this world, we look at God and make a lot of assumptions that his attributes look like ours. But our goodness is a reflection of his. His goodness does not reflect ours. Because our goodness is a reflection of his goodness, there will be similarities, of course. However, our goodness will always be scarred by sin and limited because of the effects of the fall. Let's take a look in the Bible for the proof that he is good. When is the first time that we're aware of God calling something good? It's right from the very beginning in Genesis. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, Genesis 1, 3, and 4. We first recognize good from the creation of the world. In God's first act in creation, commanding light to be, he saw that it was good. We can trace his goodness right away to his creation. As I mentioned last month when we talked about God's holiness, his actions flow from his character. Creating good things must flow from goodness. His goodness didn't start from creation, but rather creation was good because he is and always has been good. Our takeaway verse for today sums this up nicely. Psalm 119.68, you are good and do good. Because God himself is good, what he does is good. Genesis 1.31, and God saw that everything that he had made, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God's design of every living thing is good. Let's take the creation of mankind. Though we experience the effects of the fall, we can see how in God's original design, our bodies function perfectly. And despite diseases and birth defects, there are still so many things that go right in our bodies that we give very little thought to. He gave us sleep for restoration, gave us eyes to behold the world around us, ears to hear the sweet melodies of nature, sound, music, and each other, taste buds to enjoy our food, mouths to communicate with one another, brains to process information and to command our bodies, hands to do the work necessary in life, feet to carry our bodies where they need to go, lungs to take in oxygen and dispel carbon dioxide, and on and on we could go. Our bodies are complex and wonderfully made. As it says in Psalm 139, every part works together with purpose. But this goodness in creation is not limited to man. We can marvel at how God has designed our whole world and the creatures in it to coexist and function. He provides for them all what they need to live. Psalm 136.25 says, He gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
And I feel like I'm stating very obvious things here, but it's worth dwelling on. How can we see not just God's existence or glory from creation, but specifically his goodness? We need to slow down our busy lives and meditate on the, God, the good gifts that have come down from the Father of lights, as it says in James 1.17. A way to test our belief in God's goodness is to consider how often do we complain or are just unimpressed. Wonder about his creation leads us to praise him. To see God as good is to see the world he has made as good. What else shows us God's goodness? His promises. God is good to all. This is stated clearly in Psalm 145.9. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. He is good to all. He bestows common grace on every person who exists. However, throughout our Bibles, we read of God promising specifically to do good for his people, over and over, we can hear the refrain from his word that God is good to his people. Joshua proclaims to the people, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Joshua 21, 45. This, this same sentiment is repeated by the prophets, the psalmists, and the New Testament writers. God is good to those who love him, those who seek him, those who trust him. But what about those who don't love him, seek him, or trust him? Is he good to them? Of course. I think we tend to forget that people are not self-existent, but that we, if we even live and breathe, that's a good gift from God. But also, because he is good and every attribute is good, that means when he exacts justice on evildoers, when he pours out his righteous wrath on those who don't acknowledge him, when he brings calamity, all things that don't seem good to us, he is acting out of his goodness. And it's difficult to keep God's sovereignty out of his goodness because ultimately I think our questions about his goodness come about because of his sovereign providence over all things. And as a side note, we will be looking at God's sovereignty next month. But for now, Genesis 50:20 is a classic example of the tension between the evil purposes of men and God's sovereign goodwill. As for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Let's dig into that a bit. There's a lyric to a song that we sometimes sing, um, God Moves in a Mysterious Way by William Cooper, and it goes like this. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. If God promises good to us, why does it seem that so much go wrong, goes wrong at times? Why does it seem like evil surrounds us? Why does it seem like providence is frowning on us? Is that good? William Cooper states in his hymn, this is judging the Lord by feeble sense. And the verse that I wasn't able to get out of my mind the whole time I was studying this is a familiar one. 
um, possibly so familiar that you actually don't give it a lot of thought. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What is the biggest barrier to trusting God? For the purpose of this talk, let's ask it this way. What is the biggest barrier to trusting that God is good? It's leaning on our own understanding. This is why there's a positive command followed by a negative command, one thing to do and one thing not to do. What do you think that means to lean on your own? I think that it means judging our circumstances and then judging God and his goodness based on our understanding of our circumstances. But also, that verse admonishing, admonishes us to acknowledge God in all our ways. How do we do that? I think first, it's by believing that he really is who he says he is and acknowledging these truths even when it's hard to trust. And two, I think cultivating a heart of gratefulness can also be helpful. You may not feel grateful for the big picture, but what are some of the ways you can see God's good hand on you even in hard circumstances? Here's a verse that is helpful, but also challenging. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 84, 11. That sure seems like a promise that the Lord will not withhold good from his people, and it is. So why in our experience does God seem to withhold things that we deem as good all the time? Marriage is a good thing, yet it's not guaranteed for all people. Children are good things, yet they are also not given to all people. Money, success, health, protection, and many other things are actually listed in the Bible as good gifts. Um, why do they elude us at times, or in some cases all the time? Why are there people living in parts of the world without basic needs such as food, clothing, and shelter, vulnerable to evildoers who take advantage of their plight? If you're anything like me, your mind might quickly think about thousands of things that have gone wrong throughout history. Well, somehow, my talk, sometimes my printer prints out double pages. But you find it more difficult to remember the millions of things that have been good throughout history. In the darkest ages, there is always good because God is the king and he is good. Therefore, nothing can ever be completely hopeless or bad, particularly if we belong to him. Consider Psalm 16:2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. This is not just super spiritual talk. God is good, and without him, there is no good, period. But I don't think we truly believe it. I know I wrestle with it. I want to think that somehow there's inherent goodness in this world. And you know what? 
There is goodness, but it came from somewhere. God. Any act of kindness, any genuine love, any beauty, anything that is pure, it came from God. Without his goodness in the world, these things would not even exist. What about humans? Same thing applies. Generally speaking, people do good or evil at any given time, and they may or may not belong to God. A person without relationship to God is still capable of good deeds. So what does the Bible mean when Jesus says there is no one good but God alone? Or in Romans when it proclaims all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one, Romans 3.12. How does this make sense in light of the good things that we see even godless people do? It goes back to God's holiness again. Only God is perfectly good. No one lives up to his perfectly pure example. No one is good enough on their own to be equal to God. We can acknowledge that goodness in the world exists because this world is governed by God. We are capable of goodness because we are all made in his image. However, when we stand before God, the goodness in us compared to the goodness of God will not be enough for us to earn favor with God. Our goodness will be burned up in the blazing sun of his goodness. As I was writing this, 1 Corinthians 1, 25 came to mind. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. If you're going to be considering yourself and God, you need to know that your best is not even close to the least of God's moral character. And I want to be careful here, because I'm someone with a very sensitive conscience. I feel my sins keenly. I'm inclined to really think there is absolutely nothing good in me. I know that I struggle with pride, so I tend to run from anything that remotely sounds prideful. But too much fixation on our lack of goodness is not the answer. There's genuine humility before God as we recognize who he is and who we are not, which leads us to repentance and seeking mercy from God. This is different than too much self-deprecation that takes away from God's work of goodness in people. And honestly, at times it leads to false modesty. I hope that makes sense. We don't want to focus so much on sin that it's as if Christ did not purchase our freedom from it. But it's also good to be aware of our state before God, much like the parable that Pastor Cale preached not that long ago in our Luke sermon series of the tax collector and the Pharisee. The tax collector knew he needed mercy. The Pharisee was banking on his own goodness but he was not the one God justified that day. His goodness wasn't enough, but he didn't see it. The tax collector did. So if our goodness does not meet God's standard, what do we do? If his law is good, yet we fail to keep it, what do we do? Hebrews 10.1 says, for since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. 
the ultimate expression of God's goodness is in the good things to come that the law could not provide. The law taught us that we cannot be perfectly good. It showed us the one who is. The way we see God's goodness on display is to see what he himself has done to provide a solution to our holy dilemma. Jeremiah proclaimed this beautiful prophecy, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Jeremiah 32, 38, and 40. Jeremiah hits on one of mankind's issues. We are not consistent. We may be capable of good at times and evil at other times. We will never have enough willpower to, be, to have perfect and perpetual goodness. But God steps in and gives his people one heart and one way, not a divided heart. Why does he do this? So that his people may fear him forever for their own good and the good of the coming generations. He makes a covenant to not turn away from doing good to them, and he gives them the fear of himself for their benefit, so they will not turn away. He's undertaking all this action for our good. I'm reading a book by Michael Reeves entitled Rejoice and Tremble, and he has this to say about how the fear of the Lord is tied to his goodness. In Jeremiah 33, the Lord goes on to explain the nature of this new covenant fear in words so striking they overturn all our expectations. He promises, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. This is not a fear of punishment, of what God might do if his people turn away from him. Quite the opposite. In Jeremiah 33, the Lord reels off a catalog of pure blessing. He will cleanse them, forgive them, and do great good for them. And they fear and tremble precisely because of all the good he does for them. Here is not a fear that stands on the flip side of grace and goodness of God. It is a sort of fear Hosea describes when he prophesies how the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. It is a fear to the Lord and to his goodness. It is a fear that, as Charles Spurgeon puts it, put it, leans toward the Lord because of his very goodness. I love that. Fear that leans toward the Lord because of his goodness. If I were to ask you about a repeated phrase in the Bible, I bet you could immediately answer. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for... Finish the sentence. Yeah, exactly. 
His stead, he is good because his steadfast love endures forever. His goodness and his love, just like all his attributes, are tied together. His goodness finds its expression in love. God in his goodness gave us Jesus, the only human that was equal with God in goodness and purity. When Jesus died and bore God's just good wrath for the sins of mankind and then rose again and ascended into heaven to intercede for us, he did us the ultimate good. For all who rather than commend themselves for any good they have done, but instead look to Jesus as our good substitute by faith and find peace with God, we receive the most good possible. That is why the gospel is good news. It's for our good and it flows from and originates in the Trinity. Each person of God displaying goodness in our salvation. Also, because God is good, he does good work in his people. Philippians 1.6, a familiar verse says, I, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What good news this is. Not only do we have peace with God, salvation for our souls, but God's unwavering commitment to complete the good work he started in us. What does that look like? It's not surprising that God's work of saving us is followed by good works done by us. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are these good works? They're going to be varied depending on our circumstances, our walks of life, where we are. But God has good works prepared for each of us, and our good works show that we belong to God. We see this common thread in the New Testament that good works are the proof of our faith and glorify God. John, uh, Third John 1.11 says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Truly seeing God in his goodness has an effect on us as we imitate him. We do good as a reflection of the one who is good because our conscience has been cleansed. We bear no more guilt through faith in Jesus. In Hebrews, the author takes time to remind the people of the painstaking process of cleansing that was set up in the temple, and he contrasts it to Jesus. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Did you catch that? Our works done done by, uh, sorry, our works done without God are dead. But through the cleansing of Jesus, or yeah, our conscience is cleansed and we're free to serve the living God. How else is God good to those who belong to him? 
Here's a, a familiar but sometimes tough verse, Romans 8:28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This verse seems to bring us full circle. Hard things happen in this life. But when we don't lean on our own understanding of things, but instead trust that God is good in the midst of those hard things, we trust him. There are any number of good things that he's accomplishing at any moment that we cannot see. But he was good to give us a glimpse of one of the guaranteed good things. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Romans 8, 29. This verse, the verse about God working all things together for good. And it begins with the word for, so we know that the two things are connected. What is the good thing he is working together for our good, conforming us to the image of Jesus? Why is that good? Because Jesus is good. Becoming like him is to become like who God originally intended us to be before sin entered the world. We can't define good by our lens of what our natural desires are. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Perhaps it's not for us to be judging God's work or seeming lack of work in our lives and in our world. Rather, we need to trust him because he is good, because he has good purpose for everything, because no good thing does he withhold from those. And we walk uprightly because we are cleansed by Jesus and God is conforming us to Jesus, the one who always walked uprightly. We will not understand many, many things in this life. No human in the Bible ever did. But we can take up the psalmist's admonition to, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, 8. His goodness never means we won't need refuge, but... It is because he is good that we have a refuge in the day of trouble. Are there things in your life that have caused you to judge God's character? Perhaps it's because you feel that something good has been withheld from you or because you've experienced very real evil in this world. And it might not even be something huge in your life, but the daily irritations that build up over time and wear you down and cause you to see God in a negative light as someone who is not for you, but conspiring against you, always trying to teach you a lesson, but not in a good way, in some sort of twisted, vindictive way. Been there, done that. Let me tell you, it's a Todd is good. He's not out to get you. He truly is for you. 
Let me encourage you one more time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Just this thought came to my mind as I read that. Our path is straight to heaven through Jesus. It seems like it's going like this in this life, but it is always on a straight trajectory to be united with God in the end. He is good and he does good. Last Monday or last Sunday morning, we sang a new song called Raise a Hallelujah. I'd heard the song before, but I'd never sung it. I found it very moving. And as I sat down afterwards, I immediately realized that the song was a modern example of what we see in the Psalms and other Old Testament books, a call to give thanks to God for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The Psalms in particular show us what it's like to praise God in the presence of enemies, in seasons of doubt, in questions and mystery. We raise a hallelujah and by the way, hallelujah means God be praised. So we praise him and we sing as an act of faith. And yes, like the song said, sometimes we tell ourselves to sing a little louder so our hearts and our minds can be adjusted to the truth that God is always worthy of praise. It doesn't matter how we feel, he is always worthy of praise. And it's wrong for us to withhold that praise. This is not just a willpower thing. Where does the power to praise, even when the feeling isn't there, come from? The Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 14, 26, and Paul in Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, might abound, you may abound in hope. And there are many verses, of course, about the Holy Spirit's activity in a believer's life, but reminding us of the truth, difficult times. The Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift given to us by our good Father. Praising God in the midst of the unknowns in life, in the mysteries, in the hurts, and whatever it is that you face is a way of declaring that He is good and He does good. Even in the midst of sorrow, confusion, and disillusionment, the Spirit will help you why not proactively? This is how we battle for, in the fight for faith when the world, our fleshly feelings, and the devil all seem to conspire against us and scream that God is not good. Back in January, we looked at Hebrews 11, the chapter on faith. Listen to these two verses sandwiched in the first part of that chapter. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And uh, that's Hebrews 11.1, 1, and then Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We fight for faith, and a large part of that faith is believing that he is good. Part of his goodness is that he rewards those who are seeking him by expanding our hearts to hold even more of his goodness himself. By faith, we praise God for who he says he is when we clearly see it, and even in the middle of our doubts when we struggle to see it. He is good and does good. Let's pray. Father, you know the hearts of each person here this morning. You know each thought was going through this. You know objections raised. Perhaps you know the circumstances that led to those things, and in it all, you are Lord of all, King of this world, King of our lives, and we really want to believe that you are good, and we declare that you are good because your word says you are, and we see the good that you've done in our lives, how you've saved us. We see good in this world and in each other. And Lord, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see more of your goodness, to be more in awe and wonder that you do any good at all in this world. Thank you for the expression of goodness that is your love that is in our hearts. We pray for more of that, and I pray that your spirit would guide the time of discussion about to happen. In Jesus' name, amen.